Thank you, everybody. Sorry, I need that on that side. My eyes don't work that other way. Good morning, everybody. It's fantastic to see you all. Uh, Rich, can you just turn the preach lights down just a little bit, please? Because uh, I can't actually see you. <laughs> this morning, we're going to look at, <laughs> I guess, going to look at something that we've looked at again and again, that I've looked at, that Paul's preached on a number of times, and it's just where God took me, so that's where we're going, I guess. Um, we're going to look at um, David and Goliath, we're going to look at the, the account of David and Goliath in First Samuel. Um, and David's, David's story is a story of God's grace, all of David's life story is a story of God's grace, of God just picking out a kid, picking out this kid and going, you, you, I'm going to bless you, you, I'm going to bless you. Sorry, Grace, I didn't see you there. The lights are in my eyes. Just going, you, I'm going to bless you. You're fantastic. I love you. I'm going to bless you. And how David reacts to that is David's life story. So I'm going to read a very slightly, if I find it, shortened version. This is the shortened version. This is, that took 500 words out of this to make it a shortened version. I've only taken words out. I haven't added anything in. So reading from 1 Sam 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and Saul and the Israelites assembled and drew up their battle lines to meet them. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other, with a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Nine feet tall. I'm six two, so he was higher than I could reach. Nine feet tall, he had a bronze helmet and a coat of bronze on his leg legs were bronze greaves, whatever they are, and a bronze javelin on his back. He must, he must have shined like a... Do you know what I mean? Imagine polishing all that. He looked like... I looked like I don't know what. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not a servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. And the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. I've got eight sons. Can't do eight with one hand, sorry. Eight sons. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this grain and bread for your brothers, hurry to their camp, bring back some assurances from them. They were with Saul and the men of Israel fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning David reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other, and David ran to the battle lines to greet his brother. Brothers. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? 
He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. David asked the men standing around him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what had been said. They told him, this is what will be done for the man. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, Eliab was a, a big guy, about as big as me, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are. I haven't got my glasses on, so I'm not entirely sure I'm pointing at here. But, so please don't think I'm pointing at Ben. What conceited are you? Sorry. And how wicked is your heart? I'm definitely not pointing at Ben, all right? How wicked is your heart? You only came down to watch the battle. What else? What have I done? David said, can't I even speak? And he turned away to somebody else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard, reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're on your number, a lad. And he's been a fighting man since he was a, since he was not but a lad. David said to Saul, your servant, your servant keeps talking about himself, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the lion and from the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So, full stop. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord will be with you. And Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on his coat of armor on him and his bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. And he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. He's red-faced, red-faced and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here, he said. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword, nor by the spear that the Lord saves. So the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly forward to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. And he fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. 
Without a, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Lord, this morning, as I do my best, Lord, please do your best. Lord, bring your word to us. Lord, let what you want to be said be said. Lord, let my words fall to the ground. Let your words fall into our hearts and produce the harvest you desire. Amen. So, every story, every good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Often a before, a then, and an after. So, before, in this story, David's just a shepherd. He's, he's the youngest of eight. I'm the youngest of four, and I'm far, that's bad enough. But I can imagine being the youngest of eight. You must, you really are the runt of the litter if you're the youngest of eight, aren't you? Everybody's bigger than you. And the majority of them are quite a lot bigger than you. And there's a then, then. Then what happens? David does what he does. Goliath's head comes off his shoulders. After, after David's glorious. David's the king. Except it's not quite like that, is it? What comes after this isn't that. They don't, despite the fact that David's been anointed by, by Samuel before this as the next king, this isn't David's coronation moment. This is the point at which David does the next thing that he's got to do for God. The then is David takes Goliath's head home to his tent. It says David took his Goliath's head home to his tent. I'm not entirely sure that if we, when we were out camping, if we, let's pretend we're at, I don't know, we're at one event, or we're going, hey, hey, we're going camping later. We're going camping later in the year. And let's think, just for a moment, that I go mad and cut some of his head off. <laughs> not as unlikely as you might think. But, but if I do, can you imagine how mad Joe would be if I fetched the head back to the van and just like put it under the bed? Imagine Joe getting up in the morning, like, I'll just put the bed away. Oh, there's a head! Sorry. Um, what do we see in this passage? For David, we see, we see Goliath moments. There are Goliath, there's a Goliath moment in this passage. Obviously, it's the actual Goliath moment. It is Goliath. It's the first Goliath moment, I guess. But David had plenty of other Goliath moments in his life. David had plenty of other giants to face. Goliath might have been David's first giant, but it certainly wasn't David's last giant. This wasn't the end of, of meeting giants as far as David was concerned. In first Sam, we haven't got time to read it, but first Sam 15 to 18, we read about David's son, Absalom. And Absalom is David's favourite son, and David loves him with all his heart. He properly does. He just but Absalom is not a good kid. Absalom is what we would call a bad egg. A bad egg. And so he tries, to, he tries his very best to take the crown off David. And David's the king. So he tries to take the crown off David. And it, I, he almost succeeds and then it all goes horribly wrong. Because David's the king. 
and Absalom gets killed in quite a, a horrible way. It's a, a lesson to all of you with long hair that us with short hair are much more likely to not get caught in trees. But when Absalom's killed, David's heart is broken. Absolutely broken hearted, David is. And David's chief general, whose name escapes me for the moment, has to come up to him and say, Kid, we've won this war. You're acting like we've lost. And it was a Goliath David had to face. There are others. But he was prepared. You remember how in the passage I've just read, David goes to the stream and picks out five stones. That always, always seemed like an, an odd thing to do. Did, did he just not trust himself? Did he think, well, I'll have five goes, and then if that fails, I'll go and get some more? I remember Ian Blewett once preaching about this, saying that the reason David took five stones is Goliath had four brothers, and David knew it. Well, later on in, in one Sam, I'm going to read a little bit later, later on about one of the other um, giants that David meets. But David was prepared. He prepared to meet the giants. He'd been trained to fight things bigger than him. He'd been trained for big fights. That's the whole, I saw a sheep, a lion and a bear, and I struck him and grabbed him about a hair. And David had been trained for his giants. You see Goliath moments. We see other voices for David. There are other voices in David's life. There, we see his brothers, his brothers putting him down, belittling him, accusing him of bad motives, of being conceited, of having a wicked heart. Imagine me... I mean, I, all right, I was a bit mean about Absalom earlier, but imagine if, if somebody said to you, you've got a wicked heart. Oh, man, what would that do to you? And why did they do this? I think it's because David had seen them at their worst. David had seen them in their fear. And acting out of their fear, they act out of their fear. And they say, and they say the first thing that comes to their mind, they say something hurtful. Because David has seen them at their worst. We get Saul's words. Saul, Saul tries to make David fit Saul's own mode. He's like trying to make him a mini-me. It's nothing other than ridiculous. In, in, in 1 Sam 8, 9 and 10, we read about Saul is his head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Can you imagine for a moment David in Saul's armour? Would you like to see the pictorial demonstration of this with my willing volunteer? Yes. <laughs> Matty, come here, would you please? This is mine now. I have recently acquired this. It is coming home with us. Do you know how much these are? You can buy leather ones of these online for £220. And it, it, it's actually a little bit big on me, but it fits me nicely, don't you think? Don't you think this would look well? We're going to a wedding in Gerard's Cross next week. Don't you think it would look well if I wore this? So this, this, is, this is actually about the right size for me. So your arms go in those bits where your holes are. <laughs> Honest. No, there. That's a sleeve, come on. Well done. So you try walking about in that for a minute. 
Like, can you imagine fighting in that? I can imagine fighting inside it, to be honest with you. And that's how... And he strapped David's sword to his side. I, I, Joe, I couldn't find my... I haven't got a sword. My wife won't let me buy a sword. Oh, no. Rachel's wife lets him have swords. My wife won't let me have a sword. That is because Rich is more sensible than me. Well, that is also true. And also, true. Last time I said, I've, I don't have a sword, mostly because I've got a collection of guns. Uh, <laughs> but Paul says I can't fetch guns to church. So, you know, Rich, yeah. But, but I do have a selection of large tools. I couldn't find my favourite. This is, so this is, right. Can you wield that for us? Without hitting me? Or anything else? It's just, it's a little bit big for you, isn't it? Just a little. It's this, these are, these are, to be honest with you, they're a little bit big for me as well. They work that way around, not the other way around. I've used these. These are genuinely mine. I've used these. And, this, and that's, what, that's what David would have looked like. He would have just looked plain ridiculous. He would have just, he would have been all wrong. And if he'd have listened to Saul, he'd have gone out to battle like this. Just all wrong. Thank you, Matty. I'll put these just down here. Thank you. Uh, it isn't dirty, it's, it's actually painted on. <laughs> Honest. And what about Goliath? Goliath has, David hears Goliath's voice. Goliath, Goliath just despises David as being inferior in every single way. He's smaller, younger, inexperienced. And if, Goliath, if David listens to Goliath's voice, he'd not got nowhere near him. But David has something that they can't see. David has something Goliath can't see. David has something that Saul can't see. He has experience. He has experience with God. See, we read, the Lord who delivered me from the lion and from the bear. David's got experience. David has faith in a God that protected him then will protect him now. When we sing that song, oh, you've never failed me yet, we're not saying well, you've never failed me yet, so you might do. What we're saying is, all my experience is, you've never failed me, and I believe that you never will. Yeah. All my experience tells me that all the stuff I've walked through, you did not fail me, and therefore you will not fail me. All my experience tells me that your words over me are good and right and true and honest, and you, they will thereafter be good and right and true and honest. David had experience that they, didn't, that they couldn't see. Do you know as good as God really is? In verse 45, he says, The Lord Almighty, the God of armies, Jehovah Tsaba, the Lord of hosts. The message version of the Bible translates this as God of the angel armies, but it's more than that. It's God of all hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. This is the name of God 
used over 270 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the most common compound name of God, Jehovah Tzaba. It's also the favourite of a lot of people in this room, although Ruth isn't here. It's Ruth's favourite as well. Later on, David writes in Psalm 24. I'm going to have to read this because I didn't write it down properly. Psalm 24 says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, Jehovah Tzaba. He is the King of glory. David wrote that because he knew who God was. Because his experience told him, the God I follow is the God of hosts. The Lord of hosts. And we see choices. We see choices that David makes. In this passage, David is making a fine job of making good choices. He properly is. All his choices are good choices. He's serving others at the start of the tale. He's going out and doing what his dad asks him to do. He's serving and then he sees an opportunity to serve God more and he takes that opportunity and serves God some more. He's got the right motive, the right armour, the right weapon, the right tactics and the right result. He gets the job done. These are his choices. Unfortunately, later on in life, David has a somewhat, hmm, shall we say, a spotty record of choosing well. For the most part, he does absolutely fine. And then just occasionally, he properly drops the ball. He properly drops, not just the Absalom thing, because that's the example of David properly dropping the ball, but the whole Uriah Bathsheba thing. Again, I don't want to go into it, we don't have time, but that's an example of David just dropping the ball, just not, not having his eye on God. He stops listening to God so well and starts listening to others. You see it really well. If you, if you read all of Samuel's life, all of David's life, I've, I'm just, I've just read all of David's life. And at the start, it's really obvious. There's bits where it's like, David went to the Lord and asked this. David took it to the Lord and asked that. David went to the Lord and did this. David inquired of the Lord. And then towards the back end of his life, you just don't read it anymore. It's just, those words are just not there. It's as if David thinks, well, I've grown up now. I know all I need to know. And he starts making his own decisions. For me, a, a critical point comes in 2 Sam 21. David and the lads have been out rousting the Philistines again. And David comes up against another giant. And he's about to get the wrong side of this giant. 2 Sam 21.15 says, One time... David got very tired when he was out with his soldiers and they were fighting the Philistines. And one of the Philistine warriors was Ishbinabob. Yeah, sorry, I'm telling you lies. Do you know what? Yet again, I didn't get this wrong once yesterday when I was practicing it. Ishbibanob. An even better name. Yes, I did read this because I like the word Ishbibanob. Ishbibanob was a descendant of the giants and he tried to kill David. Ishbibanob was armed with a new sword and his bronze spearhead alone weighed seven and a half pounds. 
But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his rescue and killed the Philistines. This is the important bit. And David's soldiers told him, we cannot let you risk your life in battle anymore. We cannot let you risk your life in battle anymore. You give light to our nation, and we want that light to keep burning. And so David stopped going to war, and that's when the whole Uriah and Bathsheba thing kicked off. Because he was too valuable to lose. No good ever comes of us thinking we're too valuable to do something for God. No good ever comes of that. Choices. What about for us in our Goliath moments? Well, hopefully, we will never meet a giant. Hopefully, when we are camping, I will never meet somebody whose head I need to cut off. I'm fairly sure that won't happen. But that doesn't mean there won't be giants in our lives. That doesn't mean there won't be giants in our lives. Rich, just mute me a second, will you, mate? There are, giant, there are giants in our lives right now. Our health. It seems to me that this is, <laughs> this is a Goliath our church is fighting on so many fronts at the moment of ill health. There are so many of us, us that are properly ill. There really are lots. It's just like, oh, and, 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 and it's... And it's something we're fighting at the moment. It's a giant we're fighting. The giants in our lives are finance. To some people, finance is a giant in their life. And they fight it every day. To some people, relationships. Not just bad relationships, but, but no relationships. Are a giant in their life. Our insecurities and the need for approval is a giant in some people's lives. Addictions. My name's Neil, and I'm an addict. It's a giant in my life, and I fight it every day. And self-pity and selfishness, which I think the two sides of the same coin, are a giant in some people's lives that they fight every day. And the giants are just general all-around fear. When I, was, when I was a kid, fear just general fear and I was scared of everything was a giant in my life it really was they're all genuine causes of fear in our lives but the Bible says if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God God lives in him and he in God and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us God is love whoever lives in God and God in him Sorry, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love because we love because he first loves us. Perfect love casts out fear. Other translations of the Bible say perfect love banishes fear, chases away fear, drives away fear, drives out fear, expels fear. One translation says it turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. 
turns fear out of doors. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that beating our Goliaths is easy. It really isn't. But it is possible. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so that you will not grow weary in this fight and lose heart. And Joe talked about other voices earlier, the voices in our head, the voices that say you can't, you're not good enough, you'll never do it. There are a thousand and one, especially in the days of social media. If you're, if you're on Twitter, you're a better man than me. I, was, I read something on the BBC website the other day about um, one of these reality show stars talking about, I just went on with the best will in the world and within a week I was getting death threats. And people say, oh, come round and throw acid in your face. You just think, nobody needs that. All she wants to do is be famous. All she wants to do is something good. There are voices I had. So you're fat, you're slow, you're old, you're useless, you're stupid, you're broken inside. You'll never amount to anything. You can't sing properly and God will never use you again. Is that just the voices in my head? Maybe. If that's what your voices are telling you, if your voices are telling you any of those things, stop listening to them. That's what Joe said. Stop listening to those voices. They're not right. They are incorrect. Read some scripture and see what God says about you because the truth in him will set you free from those voices. John 1 says, To all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are children of God. We are children of God. 1 John 3 says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Google search the promises of God. I looked on Compassion International's website. Google search, promises of God, Compassion International, 50 promises of God. I read them all, and I was incredibly blessed afterwards. And none of them said you're fat. None of them said you're slow. None of them said you're old. None of them said you're stupid and useless, and you can't do it, and you'll never amount to anything. They all said, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. God's with you. God's not against you. God will bless you. Listen to the right voices. Of course, that, that doesn't mean we can always believe the positive things people say about us. David believed when his general said, you're too, you're too valuable and too precious to risk. And David believed him. And he shouldn't have done. Paul writes to the Romans, says, For the, by, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. I think he means take everything you hear about yourself to God. About the choices we make. I'm not sure. I think a spotty record of choosing well is a fairly good description of me. I have a spotty record of choosing well. But I know, my, I know a way of upping my good choice rate. And that's... Proverbs 16 says, commit 
to the Lord wherever you do and he will establish your plans. How do we choose? Well, we go to God. We do what David did in, the, in the, all the start of his life. We go to God and see what God says. What does God say about this? What does God say about that? What shall I do? What does God say? What does God say about it? That's what I shall do. How do we end this? Because the band is stood at the back waving at me. <laughs> In our Goliath moments, we will all face them and we have got to choose how we respond. And we can choose going into it. We can choose how we respond. One gen says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We can overcome our Goliaths because the one in us is greater than them. We aren't. We cannot be our Goliaths on our own. But with God on our side, fighting for him, that almighty God, Jehovah Tzaba, we can fight and we can win. You see, David understood that, that there's a reward for the effort of beating the giants. And there is. There is a reward. On hearing the Philistines' words, from verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's the before. Then, there's the head off the shoulders bit, and then the after, verse 51. Then the Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward and shouted and pursued them. And that were that. They went from being terrified to being victorious because of one man's defeat. Just one man. Goliath was a guy who was a big guy. He was nine feet tall. But it was, there was one of him. There weren't a hundred of him. There was one of him. And they were all scared because of one of them. And then David defeated him. And the reward for the defeat, the reward for David's victory, and Goliath's defeat was, everybody comes. Everybody rushed forward. Everybody goes up. In our Goliath moments, we need to remember whose battle it really is. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord's battle not our battle. And battles are horrible. But when we come out victorious at the end of them, we're in such a better place that we realise the fight was worth it. We realise the fight was worth it. Think about all the, all the little battles you've gone through so far in your life that you've come through and you realise the fight was worth it. And when we meet the bigger battles and see the bigger giants, we know that we fight in the Lord will come through and the fight will be worth it. It'll still be a fight. Because it was still a fight for David. He still had to go. Couldn't sit at home with the sheep and fight it from there. He had to go out and do the business. But the fight was worth it. We used to sing a song, the battle belongs to the Lord, and it is. What should we do with the other voices? Well, we should choose to not believe the negative things people say about us. Don't believe them. Like Joe said, don't believe him. Believe what God says about us. It really is that simple. Simple is not a synonym for easy. It's not easy. But it is simple. 
I'll listen to God and believe what God says. Guys, can you come back, please? I read somebody recently wrote, pride isn't so much sticking your chest out and declaring how wonderful you are, because that's arrogance. Pride is believing that you are the best master of your own fate. Pride is thinking that you're best at deciding your own destiny, that you're better than God. I read earlier, fix your eyes on Jesus for only one reason, because Jesus bet his Goliaths every time. Jesus bet his Goliaths every time. When he was being tempted in the desert and the devil himself came to him and tempted him. That was a Goliath. The devil could have, could have gone, yeah, you're right. What do I know? But Jesus said, no, God. And that Goliath was beaten. And then he bet his final Goliath at Gethsemane. When God said, I need you to do this, son. And Jesus said, is there another way? Is there, an, is there another giant to fight? Is there another Goliath we could do this by? And God said, no. No, this, this is the Goliath. This is the Goliath you've got to beat. You've got to beat death. You've got to beat death. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours. And that Goliath was beaten. Jesus said, not my will, but yours. And that was that Goliath beaten. Jesus only gave weight to the voices he heard from God. Two times in his life, Jesus heard, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Two times that, that it's recorded that we heard as well. And Jesus passed the pride test. Jesus passed the pride test. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see my father doing. pride test I said at the start this is a story of God's grace about how God just picks somebody out and says I'm going to bless you but it's also a story about how David says not your will but mine I'm going to fight your way your battle for you it's a story of how God how David learns to listen to God and does as he's told and the final end to David's story, the final thing we read about David in First Chronicles 29 is he died at a good old age, having enjoyed a long life and wealth and honor. And if we fight our Goliaths, and if we fight God's battles, we will die at a good old age, enjoying a long life with wealth and honor. Thank you.